Good morning, church family. It's good to see you all here today. Uh, Happy New Year. I'm P.J. Ryan. I'm an elder here at Calvary Bible Church. And for our scripture reading today, we're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. Um, I'm using the New American Standard Version, 1995 edition. I invite you to follow along with me as I read. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, PJ. PJ got off easy this morning, so uh, it's usually like a book that I give to read. Um, but I appreciate you being here this morning. Thank you uh, for being faithful to Calvary Bible Church. Uh, this is the church I grew up in, and uh, pastoring this church is one of the great privileges of my life, and I just want to thank you for being here today. John thirteen thirty four through 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you... Love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also ought to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Today is January 1st, 2023. A lot of preachers on January 1st, or the first Sunday of the year, what they typically do, or a lot of them, I'm not saying, not painting a broad brushstroke on everybody, uh, but a lot of preachers, they use this Sunday to kind of cast vision and direction of the future and to be honest with you i really wrestle with that myself i really wrestled if i should kind of take a, a sunday and just kind of paint the picture of where we're going in 2023 but i just kind of felt convicted internally uh just that the pulpit is not really for byron's agenda just to be honest it's more for just the proclamation of truth amen so what i'd rather do this morning is begin our series on bibliology i'll explain that what that is in just a moment um but i do want to put a thought in your mind for 2023 and then i will move on to why we're here um the thought i want you to go put in your mind this is the year of go out this is the year of go out of looking beyond our walls and beyond our norms to reach those in our zip code and in the world So what I'm encouraging you to do today is just putting a thought in your mind. It's a seed. It's be praying about somebody you can build a relationship with that may not know God, that may not know Jesus Christ. So over the next year, just be praying about who you can get to know that may not follow God. And on January 29th, on the Family Sunday that we have there, we will kind of unpack that more. But that's just the thought I want to leave you with and then so today we're in second timothy chapter three that'll be our main text this morning for what we have to discuss and then i'll look at a couple of other passages uh second peter chapter one verses 20 through 21 and and today we're we're really really answering the question uh, what is this what is this amen that's right. So what we're doing this morning is we're going to kind of go from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end. 
Throughout my sermon, we're going to kind of start from the, the basics and work our way to kind of the more theologically complex. So I would encourage you to hang in there with me. And so why, why are we doing bibliology? What is the point of this sermon series? Well, what is our mission as Calvary Bible Church? The mission of Calvary Bible Church is to guide all people to become biblical followers of Christ through intentional relationships. So part of our job, part of my calling, part of why I lead this church is to make biblical followers. And let's just be honest here. Part of being a biblical follower is just understanding what you believe and why you believe it. I've never heard a sermon, ever, a sermon from a pulpit or whatever, on just systematic theology, on doctrine, specifically today on bibliology. What is the Bible? And I know that probably this stuff is um, rudimentary. Many of us know the answer to that question, what is this thing we call the Bible? But I hope that today we kind of lay a foundation of our faith and for the future. So today we answer the question, what is the Bible? Next week we answer the question, how was the Bible put together the canon of scripture how was it pieced together over the 1500 years and then the last week i will talk about really now what so let me just begin this morning with the question we've already asked and some of you already responded but what is the bible so when i say what is the bible what comes to mind what words come to mind i'm asking at this particular moment in time inspire good Truth, good. What else? What's that? Yep. What else? Everlasting. Everlasting. Yep. What else? Yeah. What else? Authority. Good. What else? Inerrant. Instruction. Good. Truth, God's word, inerrant, inspired, a collection of books, God's message to mankind, what is the Bible? The, your answer to that question of what the Bible actually is, is one of the most important answers of your entire life. Let me say that again. Your answer to the question, what is the Bible, is one of the most important answers in your entire life. Let me, why is it important? Let's just, let me, allow me to illustrate why answering the question correctly, what is the Bible, is important. Allow me to illustrate and demonstrate why your opinion of the Bible is one of the most important aspects of your life. Okay. How many of you have ever driven a beater? <laughs> okay. We, we, unless you grew up wealthy, you probably at one time or another have driven a busted car. Anybody else relate to that one? Um, one time I had a car that had rats living in it, okay? I got out of the car, and in the door jam of that car, I saw four beady eyes looking dead at me from inside the engine compartment, okay? Um, let me just ask you the question. When you get into that beater, what's your countenance like? What's, what's, your, what's your emotions like? Let's just say... For the sake of argument, you have to drive from here to Knoxville, and you have that beater, okay? What is your temperament like when you get into that car to drive to Knoxville? You're, you're nervous, you're terrified, you're afraid that you'll break down on this highway, on the interstate, you are nervous, okay? But then, let's say you have that same trip from Huntsville to Knoxville, and you get into a brand new car, 
What's your countenance like then? There's confidence. You don't fear anymore. That is a small demonstration of why your view of the Bible is actually important. Because if you view the Bible as not inspired or not inerrant or full of fables and myths, then you will have a foundation that is shaky. If you view the Bible as only that the clergy or elders or really smart people can understand it, then you will struggle to ever make your faith your own. But if you believe the Bible is the word of the living God, if you believe it is our source of truth, if you believe God's word is inspired, inerrant, authoritative, if you believe that God wrote it for us, then you will live with confidence. And can I just, your view of the Bible is seen in your actions of your life. Can I just speak? I mean, if you view the Bible as this old, stale, dusty book that is irrelevant to your life, guess what? We will struggle to ever open it and make our faith our own. But if you view it as sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, if you feel, if you see the Bible as God's word to you to provide you instruction on how to live, then you will read it and discover the treasures that we find. Your view of the Bible dictates your view of God, your view of self, your view of others, sin, salvation, grace, judgment, mercy, your view of life after death. It dictates how you treat people. Your view of the scripture is one of the most important things about you. So today we clarify exactly what the Bible actually is. And what I have this morning is I have a short definition, if you have your notes, and then I have a longer definition. The short definition of what the Bible is, is that the Bible is the word of the living God. It is the word of the one true God. That he through men, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute, inspired the word of God, wrote it over a period of 1,500 years, and delivered it to us in a language that we can understand. But what is the Bible? Now, we're going to start from the shallow end of the pool and work our way to the deep end. So, what? I've always kind of wondered when I was growing up where the word Bible actually came from. Anybody else wonder that? Okay, where did the Bible name come from? It comes from the Greek word for book. It means biblios. Okay? It means really the book. The book of all books, it is really the first book ever written and completed. If you were to open your Bible, what would you find? You would find that the Bible has 66 books, and it, is a, really it really is a collection of books. There are 66 books, and 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and it is a collection of books. It is, I heard one person say, it is a library. Which is true. It is a collection of books. And the Old Testament is not actually called, the Hebrew Old Testament is not called the Hebrew Old Testament. It's called what? I'm going to see if there are any nerds in the room. Unite. Okay. I already heard it this morning. The Hebrew Old Testament is the law, the prophets, and the things written. That is the actual title of the Hebrew Bible. The law, the prophets, and the things written. So even the title of the Old Testament, what, recognizes 
that this is a collection of books, of 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 in the New. The Old Testament contains, is 77% of the Bible. The New Testament is 23. The Old Testament is the law, the prophets, and the things written. And the New Testament is what? It is a collection of 27 books, five narrative, and the 22 at the end are essentially letters written. The New Testament does what to the Old? It complements it, it proves it, and it completes it. That in the Old Testament, you're promised, you see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes, you see the promised seed coming from the woman that will bruise his heel on the head of the serpent. We see the beginning prophecy of the Messiah to come. And then we see him come in Luke chapter 2, which is what we just celebrated on Christmas Day. And the New Testament completes, it proves the Old Testament that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in him, you may have life in his name. So the Bible is, in a sense, it is the word of, not in a sense, but it is the word of the living God, the true one true God. The Bible is a collection of books, but who wrote the Bible? You know? I mean, okay, so there are 40 human authors, and, but wait, did God write the Bible, or did people write the Bible? Yeah, I'm hearing it. Well, let me just ask you the question. Okay. If you want to know an answer, if you want to get to know somebody, like if you want to, you want to answer that question in, in the Bible, who wrote it? Where's the best place to look? I mean, if you want to get to know somebody, what is the best place to go? You know, if they're famous, you go probably pick up a biography. Um, if, if, if you're in high school and you like some boy or girl, what do you typically do? You go talk to their friends about them. But you never really get to know someone until what? Until you actually spend time with them. You know, friends, I think the big, one of the big problems in our culture is that people don't know who to go to for an opinion about what the Bible is. I mean, you go to different scholars and different pastors, different churches, they all have different views on what the Bible actually is. But the best place to actually look for what the Bible is, is and who wrote it, is in the Scripture itself. Amen? Track it with me? The, one of the best places in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, all Scripture is inspired. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Wait. All Scripture is inspired by God. So who wrote the Scripture? The Bible is a collection of books written by God through men. What's the question? What does that even mean, right? What does it mean that all Scripture is inspired of God? Let me just tell you what that word inspired means. The word inspired is um, because Paul is highly intelligent, okay? The word inspired is the Greek word theopneustos. It is a compound word. It's to be a nerd on all you. It's a hapax legomenon. What does that even mean? This is the only time in the Bible this particular word is used. The word inspired is the Greek word theopneustos, and it is a compound word. Paul kind of crams three words together. It means God breathed out. That all scripture is God breathed 
out. All scripture is written by God through men. What's the question? What does that even mean, right? What's the relationship between God and the human authors in our scripture? So we're moving our way from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool. Okay, there are five basic views of inspiration. I won't try to nerd out too badly on all of you. View number one is the dictation theory of inspiration. So we're all, all these people are trying to figure out kind of what this phrase mean written by god through men all scripture is inspired by god so these are attempts to understand what that actually entails view number one is the dictation theory of inspiration i I call this the robot view okay or this is paul writing right here and god is like this okay okay that paul is being forced to write every okay what's the problem with that What's the problem? How does that then explain all the different styles and different language that is used? If God did this to every single author, then what? Then it should all be similar. But it's all, if you ever read the Bible and just, just realize just the broad range of literature, it's a crazy in there. Second view is partial theory inspiration. I, the general, I, this is the general idea view, or I call the Jedi mind game view, okay, that God gave the biblical authors the general concept of what he wanted them to write down, and these really smart dudes wrote it all down, and we have the Bible. In other words, when we come to 1 Corinthians 13, what did God do? He gave Paul the idea to write about love, but if every single word in the Bible isn't true, then we have to question it all. View number three is natural theory of inspiration. This is the genius view that Paul and John and Moses and all these guys were super geniuses and smart. So then they wrote down the Bible that God inspired their intelligence. But um, how many of you have ever known a really smart person that said really dumb things? Okay, yeah, there you go. View number four is the neo-orthodox view. This is the different levels of truth, that there are some more inspired texts than others, particularly the ministry of Christ is kind of on another level. But all scripture is inspired by God, not just some of it. Dragon with me? So what's the view? View number five is the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. This is the divine causation view. It's in your notes. The verbal plenary inspiration that God, through his spirit, inspired every word penned by human authors in each of the 66 books of the Bible. What's the problem with this view? Nothing. This is the view of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Second Peter chapter 1. Verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture is the only view that actually works. This is Second Peter chapter 1 verse 20. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made. Do you track it with it? For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. That is verbal plenary inspiration. This is the best view on bibliology, on who actually wrote the scripture. So the Bible is a collection of books written by God through men. 
But is that true? You know, I mean, that's what the Bible affirms, that, that, that it is written by God through men. But is that true? Friends, um, just on, this is really subjective, and I'm going to give you more objective proof that the, God's, the Bible is truly the word of the living God. I'll give you that more in just a moment. But I am more firm today than ever that the Bible is truth. Amen? It just is. When I open the scripture, it just screams to me all of it to be true. You know, I, I've had the privilege of teaching and preaching through a variety of books of the Bible, and I stand more convicted now that the Bible is the word of the living God. But if you don't take the Bible's word for it, if you don't take Byron's word for it, that the Bible is true, it is the word of the living God, then let me give you a few proofs that it is otherwise. Number one, the Bible has no contradictions. It is written over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors, and it stands without contradiction. It is written in three different languages from multiple countries with different authors from different backgrounds. Some are shepherds. Some are scholars. Some are old Pharisees. And it all, man, it all just complements each other absolutely perfect. It is without contradiction. Our culture will tell you it does. But if you actually look at any of the contradictions, contradictions it suggests, it's easily explained within the context of the Bible. They just need to read the passage. Number two, what other evidence is that the Bible is true and really written by God? Number two, the prophecies of the Bible have come true. The prophecies of the Bible have come true. If the Bible weren't true, then we could look back on the Old Testament and say, well, I haven't seen that, I haven't seen that. I haven't... Wait, what did we just get done celebrating? Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, that fulfills it. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. Isaiah 7.14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Those are both prophecies that we recognize fulfilled on Christmas Day. But we, we, we chalk up the prophecies fulfilled to only the Old Testament. It's actually not. There are actually prophecies in the New Testament that have already been fulfilled. Mark 13. As Jesus was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. If you go to modern day Israel, what do you see? You don't see a temple, okay? Because this prophecy came true. All you see is the temple mount. So this prophecy was given probably about 35 AD, and then in 70 AD, the temple was completely and totally leveled to not one stone was left so what other evidences do we have that the Bible is true? Prophecies came true. Number three is the Bible has stood the test of time. I mean, think about all of the things that the Bible has survived. The nation of Israel has been genocided, 
multiple times in human history, and the Bible continues to live. What does it say in Isaiah 40, verse 8? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Number four, if the Bible is truth, then what? It should contain truth. Ecclesiastes 5. This is a truth that it conveys. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. True? Proverbs 15.1. A soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many of you have ever gotten an argument with your spouse because you said a harsh word? Uh, Proverbs 11.14. And I struggle with gossip. Okay. Proverbs 11.14. Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. How many of you have ever put a board of directors around you in your life? And you bounce ideas off of them to make sure that you make sound decisions. There is safety in a multitude of advisors. The Bible is what? It is a collection of books written by God through men. What are some other? We're going further into the deep end. What are some other attributes of the scripture? It is inerrant. It is without error in its original manuscripts. How could a perfect God who inspired man make anything else? It is authoritative. It is understandable. And it is the word of the living God. But... Let's ask the question. So this is uh, super nerdoville of a sermon. So I, but I, it's just doctrine. I'm trying to lay a foundation of what we believe. So we understand what it is, who wrote it, but why was it written? You know, why was the Bible actually written down? Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen again says. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. The Bible is a collection of books written by God through men to reveal his character or doctrine. What I'm saying in the, the word there is the teaching word in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. If you were here... During Psalm 19, there are two main ways that God has revealed himself to mankind. I purposely chose this word right here. So there are two main ways that God has revealed himself. What is it? General revelation and special revelation. General revelation that God, we can see in the universe and in human nature that God exists. I mean, if just why does every single being that has ever lived have at least two things? They struggle to understand and find God, number one. And number two, every single being wakes up with a sense of morality, good and bad. That is general revelation. But then we have special revelation. This is how we know that Yahweh is the true God. The reason we know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the reason we know God is triune, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, the reason we know he is love and good and a good father is the Bible itself. It is special revelation. The Bible is a collection of books written by God through men to reveal doctrine or teaching or character, that's what I mean by that word, and to reveal God's redemptive plan. Now, I really wanted to put the word redemptive right here but it didn't have enough space on my slide okay so just imagine the word redemptive is here to reveal his character and redemptive plan 
What's the message of the gospel? God's love for me, what? Commands me to love him and love others. We talked about that last year. We see God's love for us not only in the Garden of Eden, but also in the very first thesis statement in the scripture. What is, what is the thesis statement of the scripture? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It lays it all out for us in one simple verse. This word, this verse is called proto And the nerds in the room, scholars call it that. But it's a thesis statement. And it says this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Who's he speaking to? God is speaking to the serpent here after the fall. The order of the judgment of the fall appears in the order of the offense. So he speaks to the serpent first, the woman, and then the man. And this is what he says to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That there will be a seed from the woman, from Eve, way down the line. That he will bruise his heel on the head of the serpent. So what do we see here? We see the war, rage between God and Satan right here. We see that the seed will come through the woman. Wait, what has to happen? That God, the seed has to be born as a man. Between your seed and her seed. What did we just get done celebrating? Christmas. The seed has come. Amen. His name is Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God. Amen. That in the beginning of time, at the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, we see God's redemptive plan. That there will be a seed that comes from the woman that will bruise his heel on the head of the serpent. And then that seed will cause a way for us to be redeemed through the blood on the cross that was shed. That's the redemptive plan of God. The Bible is a collection of books written by God through men to reveal his character, his redemptive plan, and his instruction. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 70. All scripture is theopneustos. It's breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I could talk all about that, and I talked about it in my hermeneutics class a couple of weeks ago. For teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What was the Bible written for? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So wait a second. This is a purpose clause. So that, or it's henna clause in the original language, nerd, sorry. So that, for the purpose... That the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So God inspired every word of the Bible for what? To equip us for every good work. For the works that he has prepared beforehand. This is the scripture. This is, what it, this is my long definition. And I ran it by a few people. And you can punch holes in it after the service. It's cool. Like that, That's what it's all about. And it's cool. You can... Tell me you didn't like it. It's cool. So the Bible is a collection of books written by God through men to reveal his character, redemptive plan, and instruction to help us know, love, and follow him fully. That the word of God has been written down for us to give us instruction on how to live. Um, this is not my notes, but um, if you want to know how to live... What do you have to do? Read it. Tracking with me? It is given its instruction to help us know, love, and follow him fully. 
What does the word of God do? Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 19. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Have you ever felt that way? The testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You shouldn't fall asleep when you read the scripture. We all have. Just be honest. But it should rejoice our heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the tensions of the heart. This Bible was written by God through men and is given to us so that we can live a life of righteousness according to his instructions. This scripture changes the way we view God. It convicts us of sin. It informs us of the gospel. It provides for us a path of righteousness. It rejoices the heart and it allows us to bear good fruit. The Bible is the word of the living God given to us to help us to know, understand, and follow him fully. To be honest with you, um, there are a lot of ways that God has displayed his love for us. The most prominent one, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But also I believe that God shows his love for us just by giving us a book of the Bible to tell us how to live. That's amazing. That God did not just abandon us on earth. He didn't just send his son and say, well, I hope they figure it out. (laughs) Okay, because we wouldn't have. But because we have the scripture, we not only understand how to live, but we see the message of Jesus Christ. That he has come and he's died for my sins according to the scripture. That he's come to be the propitiation or satisfaction of my sin so I could stand before the Father justified, being declared innocent of my sin. So then by faith in him, I can be then adopted as a son of God and have eternal life. The Bible itself screams to me the great love of God that we have before us. A manual to help us live a good and righteous life. Can I just share something really quick? You don't have to raise your hand to this. But how many of you have known a Christian um, that has not lived according to the Bible and has completely train wrecked their life. Man, I see it again and again and again and again. I see so many people that get to a point of crisis in their life and they just decide to go do something really foolish. Anybody else want to? The Bible presents to us not only eternal life, not only words of life, but also paths of righteousness. And the best life that God has for us, a life of righteousness and a life of joy and enjoying what God has blessed us with. The Bible, in a sense, is truth. 
Every bit of it. Next week, I'll talk about how the Bible was put together. I'll talk about the canon of Scripture. Um, And then the last week, I'll kind of talk about now what. But today, I really just want to establish the definition of what it is. And the question we have to answer now is this one. You know? You didn't know this morning that you were going to get a semi-seminary lesson, okay, right? But I just never had anybody, any preacher ever talk about doctrine from the pulpit. I might have just have a bad memory. But never, I've never heard anybody talk about systematic theology and even define what the scripture actually is. So the question I have is, so what? You know? This is just a bunch of information. Well, it's actually not. So what I want to do is each week after... The canon of scripture and then the now what, the last sermon. I would just want to leave you with one point of application. My point of application this week is to side with God and not culture. To side with God and not culture. Can I just say something? Christians are terrified. We are fearful that if we tell people the truth, what's going to happen? They're going to reject us. They're going to say we're too dogmatic. We're pig-headed, right? That if if we actually believe the Bible and actually tell people what the Bible actually says and God's view of marriage, God's view of roles, God's view of gender, all right? If we actually tell people the truth, that somehow they're not going to like me anymore. Anyone else had that fear before? Am I the only one? That somehow people will just say I'm just stubborn or pig-headed. But can I just say something? People can't come to Christ unless they are offended. Because coming to Christ forces one to realize the nature of their fallen humanness. It forces them to wrestle with the issue of their own sin in their life. Now listen, I'm not out there telling you to go be an arrogant, you know, jerk. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying that when the time comes, do not be afraid. And I have one more point and then I will be quiet. We should not be surprised when our culture disagrees with the scripture. I think it's only by the grace of God, it's called common grace, it's only by the grace of God that we have any semblance of biblical foundation in our culture, right? I think it is, um, we should not expect, we should expect our culture to disagree with the scripture. Why? Because they are in darkness and the Bible is light. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We should not be surprised when our culture disagrees with the Bible's view of marriage. Don't be shocked. We should expect it. We should expect to be different. My encouragement to you today is not to be afraid. I'm not saying go out there and be you know, mean to people and clobber people with the Bible and be Bible thumping and all that kind of stuff. Okay. I'm just saying when the time comes, do not be afraid to stand for the truth and live for the truth. I will close with this. Matthew five fourteen through 16. 
You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning. And just understanding the, the foundation of our faith, the foundation of uh, the Bible and what we believe. And we thank you that the Bible is true, that it has been preserved for us. And Lord, I pray that we would live according to it. And Lord, that we would not be shocked when our culture disagrees with it. And Lord, that we would be bold to stand up for the truth. And Lord, I pray that we uh, would walk the fine line between loving our neighbor and showing compassion and love for them, but also standing on the truth and not being afraid to, to proclaim truth to a darkened world that rejects it completely. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I thank you for this church. It allows me just to talk about doctrine and just truth and systematic theology. And uh, your word will not return void. Lord, we pray that your word would continue to shape our lives and that we would see as described in Psalm 19 that it's sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Lord, that we would find in it the rejoicing of the heart, the enlightening of the eyes. And Lord, thank you for this church and our devotion to proclaiming your word despite it being unpopular in our culture. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.